Hi, and welcome to episode 76 of Walk to Work. So today, I because it's uh, Christmas, Merry Christmas for those of you that celebrate Christmas, um, and Merry not Christmas for those of you who don't, and also for those of you for whom Christmas is not really a fun time of celebration. Uh, I never quite know how I feel about Christmas, but this year I'm in the States with my family and Jess's family, uh, and families getting together is always nice. Um, today, uh, I want to talk uh, to you. I want to explain to you how to solve a Rubik's cube. Um, and so, there's a couple of fun things before we get to the boring part where you switch off because uh, you don't have a Rubik's cube or you don't really want to learn how to solve a Rubik's cube. Thank you very much. Um, so, some things I like about Rubik's cubes is. Um, Problem solving when problems have a solution is fun because uh, it's a different kind of problem solving to real life problem solving. Like if you want to solve the problem of how do you teach a class um, to dance blues, um, that has kind of imperfect uh, solutions uh, and you can deal with the imperfection of that, uh, whereas Rubik's Cube has an actual solution the Rubik's Cube is solved or is not solved. Um, and, and that's a fun thing uh, about Rubik's Cubes uh, in a world where solving things is not always possible. Um, but also it kind of trains skills for solving things as opposed to uh, skills for making the best of things. Um, and so related to that, a fun fact about Rubik's Cubes is the first time there was World Championships in the early 80s. 81, I believe. Uh, the winner, if I remember correctly, was Jessica Friedrich. So two fun things about that. Um, her winning time was, I think, 21 seconds. And the this was on the old Rubik's Cubes that they had back then. It was stiff. They weren't designed for competition cubing. Nowadays, you have cubes that are specially lubricated and built uh, to go faster. And so she was able to achieve this 21 second time with a solution that she invented uh, on the cubes of the day. Um, and I can barely solve a cube in 20 seconds now. Like I, I, I regularly solve in less than 20 seconds, but 21 seconds is literally my average. Um, and so I think it's really impressive uh, that these people back in the early 80s were able to invent their own solutions and get so good at them. Um, the other fun fact is that this solution that Jessica Friedrich invented is basically the solution that everybody uses. Uh, so there are a couple of ways of solving a Rubik's Cube. Uh, one is to solve uh, corners first and then all the edges. So if you take a Rubik's Cube, you have eight corner pieces. Those are pieces with three colors on them. Um, you have 12... Um, edge pieces, those are the pieces with two colors on them, and then you have six center pieces. And the center pieces can't move to itself, so if you put the white center piece so that it's up at the top, uh, that white center uh, is um, the center of uh, the cube, uh, is the center of the white face, and that is going to be the white face. Um, and so you can, you need to put eight edge, eight corners into place correctly. You need to put um, twelve edges into place correctly 
and you need to find ways of moving so that you can have partially solved bits that stay solved while you have other bits. And so you can think of it uh, as corners. So there's a method that's called corners first. You'd solve all the corners uh, and then you solve all the edges. Um, there's another method uh, that is called the Petrus method. He invented that in the early uh, 2000s, I believe. Um, and that involves starting from one corner and growing from there. Um, uh, and it's interesting because uh, it uses only, uh, a lot of the moves use only two sides uh, and moving two sides really quickly uh, in coordination with each other is something that's easy to do. Um, but pretty much the one that I think everyone uses for speed cubing is this um, uh, first two layers and then uh, orient the corners uh, then orient to the last layer, then permute the last layer. Um, so the first two layers means that you start, you consider the cube in three layers. You have uh, a bottom layer, and you start with the bottom layer, and then you have a middle layer, and then you have a top layer. I mean, you can start with the top, then middle, and bottom. It works out the same. You just have an upside-down cube. Um, and these uh, layers, so one way of solving is to you first solve a cross on the bottom layer, so that means you put all the edges in place on the bottom layer. And we'll see shortly afterwards why that's efficient. And then you put the corners in of the bottom layer, and then you put the edges of the middle layer, and then you solve the orientation of the top layer. So you, when, once you have the top layer just left, uh, you basically have to orient pieces uh, and permute pieces. So orient means them having them rotated the correct way, and permuted means having them um, placed in the correct positions. So uh, it's not that useful to have um, a piece in the right position but in the wrong orientation, but for solving and recognizing solving patterns it helps. And so the key thing is that once you have uh, all your pieces oriented, so if yellow current is my top layer, if all the, the my last layer, if all the last layer pieces are, have yellow up uh, on this top layer, then it makes recognizing the permutation more efficient. And so again, uh, and there are various ways of solving a bottom layer. Some have uh, a top layer, I mean the last layer. Uh, some have efficiency because you need fewer moves, and some have efficiency, uh, I mean, fewer um, patterns to remember. Some have efficiency uh, because they need fewer moves, and some have efficiency because they're easier to recognize the patterns, and so it's easier to solve quickly. And the cool thing is that the Friedrich method is the one that pretty much everyone uses. For some reason, and I've been out of cubing for about 10, 15 years now, so I don't know what that reason is. Um, what used to be called the Friedrich method is now no longer called the Friedrich method. And that's a weird and interesting one. Um, because it's literally her method. It's 40 years old now, almost. Uh, and it's the one that everyone uses. I mean, with variations, it's not the same algorithms, but the same strategy. The reason why it is a good cubing strategy is still true today, and it now allows people to get six-second solves. Um, or less than six seconds, like five or four, I guess they're at now. 
I can never quite remember. I remember when less than 12 seconds was really exciting and then less than 10 seconds was really exciting. And I predicted that the lowest it would ever go is like nine seconds. Um, and it's gone higher, lower, lower than that. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know how low it can go. It's really insane. That's another thing that I like about Rubik's Cubes uh, is that, so I've been solving them since I got one in the early 90s. And I got two little booklets uh, somehow uh, to help me solve them and learn the methods from those two booklets. Um, interestingly, neither of those two methods are the efficient method um, that is good for speed cubing. Um, so I've also uh, unlearned uh, a lot of methods. Anyway, um, my point with this was, yes, uh, so I was excited when I got less than a minute, and I was excited when I got less than 40 seconds, and then more recently with the internet and a bit of help, uh, I got myself uh, down to um, around 30 seconds and then around 25 seconds, and for the past two or three years, off and on, I will have a couple of weeks of cubing craze uh, where I try to push myself down to below 20 seconds. Uh, and there's something inherently fun about this in that world record level is um, sub five seconds thereabouts. So I'm like four times slower than would be necessary to be competitive uh, at a world level. Um, that means there's like 10,000, 20,000, 50,000 people who can solve a Rubik's Cube better than me. Um, and there's, yeah, like probably just for every, like any discipline pretty much you can find 10,000 people who are better than you at it. Uh, and that never stops anyone from doing it. But this is so sort of single-mindedly, you're pushing yourself towards um, to, to, towards getting better and better times. And there I literally am competing against myself because I don't know anyone socially who solves Rubik's Cubes quickly. Uh, and so it's very much kind of a solo pursuit where I'm competing against myself because I know I have no chance of ever beating anyone in the competition ever. Um, and that's fine. Uh, and there's something I like about that. Okay, so those are the, the, the things I like about the cubes. Uh, and I guess now I'll take... Oh, the last thing I like about cubes is that actually solving them is not that tricky. Um, so it takes a couple of key insights that definitely 12-year-old me was too young to figure out. And I like to think that present-day me could figure them out, probably. Um, uh, and basically, actually, only boils down to two key insights, which I'm going to explain to you now. So if you take a cube, I assume you have one somewhere. Uh, and so we said we have a bottom layer, and we have a middle layer, and we have a top layer. And you could move each of these layers independently uh, from the other. Um, on the bottom layer, so my bottom layer is actually going to be yellow for today. Yeah, I always have yellow as a bottom layer. Um, so that bottom layer means I can turn it. If I turn it four times, four quarter turns clockwise, I get back to the same part. Sure. Um, and so the key thing that we're going to, that I'm going to think of here is that um, most of the cubing time 
uh, I'm solving the bottom two layers. So I can mess up the top layer. I can turn this white face uh, as much as I want. I mean, currently it's mostly solved, so it doesn't really matter. But what that means is if I take a stack with my right hand of the bottom right uh, corner, the middle right corner, and the top front right corner, so I can hold this stack of three uh, that goes across three layers between my finger and thumb, and this stack, so what the bottom corner is currently in the bottom layer, the middle edge is currently in the middle layer, and the top corner is currently in the top layer. If I rotate uh, the right face of the cube clockwise by a quarter turn, I have brought uh, these three, this stack of three, into the top layer. And so now I can spin the top layer, because we've already said the top layer, I can turn as much as I want. And it means I can bring any other stack of three from the top layer back down. And so suddenly what I've done is I've messed up the whole top layer. We don't care about the top layer. Um, and I've switched out two pieces uh, in that front right uh, stack. So the front, bottom right front corner and the middle right front uh, edge. Uh, and I've not broken anything else whatsoever. And so the cool thing about that is that basically by bringing the A stack of three uh, a vertical stack of three into the top layer, for example, by turning uh, the right uh, face clockwise by a quarter turn, then moving uh, the top layer, and then undoing my right face turn, so bringing the stack back into its vertical state again, this new stack, um, I can move pieces around. Uh, and so this is how I would more move corner and middle layer edges around. Um, and there are various ways that I could get uh, a corner from the top layer um, into the bottom layer. So for example, if there's a corner that I want to put in the bottom layer, if I put it uh, in my top layer uh, so that it's on my top left, and I move the stack, the vertical right stack, up into the top layer, I turn the top layer so that the what was the top left corner is now the top right corner. It's now entered into the stack that gets undone and piped down. And so I suddenly uh, put uh, a cube from the top left into uh, the bottom right position. Uh, and different ways I can do it would leave it in different orientations and would mean that it's in the right orientation or the wrong orientation. Uh, that's easily fixable by the same method. Um, so we could do the same thing with uh, the um, middle stack. So if I take my front middle stack, so this is a bit weird because it's actually kind of moving the whole cube, but bear with me. So if I move my front middle stack up to the top layer, and then I do a quarter turn of the top layer, any direction, and then move that middle stack back down. Again, my top layer is completely broken. But the only piece that I've actually affected is the front bottom edge, um, which has now gone into the top layer and been replaced by another one. And by the same procedure, I can take any edge in the top layer 
and put it, uh, move uh, the stack up, put that cube into the stack, move the stack back down again. Uh, QB, the edge. Um, so yeah, using that, you can solve the whole first two layers of the cube. Uh, and it's just by taking a stack, putting it in the upper layer, and replacing that stack with some other stack from the upper layer. And there's a bit of coordination to do, uh, especially when it comes to um, putting uh, the, uh, the the middle pieces, the uh, the middle layer pieces in, because you have corners and you need to not break them. But basically, and this is a common thing again that you can use in cube and cube style puzzles. If you have two different ways uh, that you can bring um, a piece from uh, the bottom layer to the top layer, then if you take it out using one of the ways and you put it back using the other of the ways, then um, you're going to end up with a different piece next to it. Uh, and so that's a way of solving the middle, the middle pieces. And it, we obviously have three ways to bring a corner from uh, the top layer to the bottom layer. We can have it starting, if we're still using this right stack, we can have it starting top left, back. We can have it starting top left, front. And we can have it starting top right, front. And top right, front one is really cool because as you bring the stack up, the top right, front corner goes to back, uh, top, back, right. And then as you rotate a quarter turn, it's actually changed orientation so that you can bring it back down. Um, and so that's how you can take a piece and change its orientation. And then you just move the upper layer around. So that tells you how to solve the top two layers. Now your problem is solving the bottom layer. And uh, sorry, the bottom two layers, your problem is now solving the top two layers. And the fun part about the top two layers, no, the top layer, the last layer, the top layer, uh, is um, the key insight is this. If you can take a piece out of the top layer, completely mess up the whole rest of the cube and put it back in uh, the top layer in a different orientation, for example, um, then you have uh, take a piece out of the bottom layer, completely mess up the cube, and put it back into the bottom layer with, for example, a different orientation. There we go then you have a bottom layer that's completely intact and you have the rest of the cube that's messed up. Uh, sorry, the bottom layer is completely intact except for that piece that you took out. And so the reason I'm talking about the bottom layer right now uh, is because we've been manipulating the bottom layer as the one that's uh, the solved layer. And now we basically need to manipulate the top layer as if it's the one that's the solved layer, which is why I'm talking about the bottom one because the bottom one literally is solved for me at this point. So I can take the front uh, edge uh, I can move it stack up, I can uh, turn around, move the stack back down, uh, and then uh, I can uh, move that edge over a little bit in the top layer, 
um, move the whole thing up and move the stack down again. And I've changed the orientation of uh, the bottom front edge. So now instead of having the yellow facing down and the green facing front, it has the green facing front and the yellow facing down. No, the other way around, the green facing down, the yellow facing front. Um, and so now if I reverse all the moves I just did, I get back to uh, a solves bottom layer and I haven't messed, I've unmessed up everything else. Now, because the bottom layer is already completely solved, if I do one quarter turn rotation of the bottom layer and inverse everything I just did, then that will unmess up the whole rest of the cube and it will switch the orientation of just one piece in the bottom layer. And instead of it being the piece that I'd already switched the orientation of, I'm now switching the orientation of another piece. And so that means that by messing the cube up plus or plus flipping a piece, uh, I get to flip one piece. Then if I change that piece with another piece and unmess the cube up, the side effect is I flip another piece and I end up with unmessing up everything I just did. And so that means that having done that, um, I'm able to affect any two pieces. Um, so I can change um, the orientation of any two edges independently from everything else. I can change the orientation of any two corners independently of everything else. And then if I figure out a move that switches around two uh, corners, for example, I can then, and that is going to take my bottom layer, it's solved. It's going to exchange two corners and mess up the whole rest of the cube. Then I can take my solved bottom layer, turn it by a quarter turn. So suppose I've managed to exchange the two front corners. If I change it by a quarter turn, they're now uh, the two right to bottom corners. I do the whole thing and undo everything. So that fixes the rest of my cube and it's going to exchange the two front corners. And so that means that, uh, and then I can change my bottom layer, uh, rotate it back around again. So that means that the two uh, bottom front layers, front corners um, have changed places. So the front, um, the front left corner has gone to front right. Um, and the front right corner has gone to front left. Then I rotated it and exchanged it, to, uh, rotated it clockwise once the bottom layer. And so they're now uh, my two right corners. And then I switched them again. So that means that my front right corner that was uh, previously my back right corner is now going to front left. And my front left corner that was previously my back left corner is now going to front right. And then I turn it around. And so basically I've switched three corners around by exchanging them two uh, and then two. So using um, that method, I can do the same with edges. And it means I can cycle three edges by switching two of the flipping, switching two of them, messing up the cube, uh, 
and then switching to others and at the same time unmessing up the cube. And that's it. That's all you need to solve a cube. Almost all. There's one specific case that I don't quite know how to fix with this in that it's possible to, it's not possible to exchange just two um, corners in place. And the same way, it's not possible to exchange just two edges. You have to cycle three of them. But it is possible to exchange two corners and two edges. And I'm not quite sure uh, what a clever way or a simple way would be uh, to exchange two corners and then exchange two edges. Because this mess up, then unmess up uh, parity thing doesn't work. Um, yeah. But other than that, you can completely solve a Rubik's Cube with just the instructions I gave you. It might take a while, um, but hey, it's holidays right now for some of us, and we've got nothing better to do. Um, so get your cube out and have at it. Let me know how that worked out for you. I will see you next time. Um, as a bonus for getting this far, a uh, reminder that Jess and I have online classes as are starting up again um, on the 17th, I believe, of January. Uh, Love to see you there. Uh, I'll see you next week with hopefully something a bit less silly. And until then, take care.